0: Take your Bibles and go to the book of Romans, and uh, we will get into this message today. Last week I kind of hit the introduction, I really changed it into a message on religion and the heart, religion and the heart, and how that there is no true religion in your life, or God can use you in any real way with people until he does something in your heart. And that's where this argument that we see here in Romans chapter 3 that God has with the Jewish people, how that they were looking to their outward (coughs) religion, their outward uh, ritualism, uh, their circumcision, those type of things as what made them special. And we know that's not what God was thinking. Uh, He said in Romans 2 verse 28, it says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Wow, that is good. That means that outward show that they were so much relying in was simply supposed to be an outflow of what what has happened in the heart. And your religion, and this is the, 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 the seriousness of it, you got to be careful that your religion doesn't just get to be something standing on its own. Your religion is always an outflow of what God is doing in your heart. And when it becomes a machine to you, and when you're going to church becomes like, oh, well, we just got to do it again, it's, everything on the outside isn't the problem. <laughs> What's happening is something in your heart has changed. You need to let the Lord do a good surgery in your heart again. And so we saw last, last week how that God really deals with the heart. Right from the beginning, uh, when it came to destroying the world in the flood, he saw that the imaginations of man's heart was evil continually. So it wasn't all the things they did, even though the things they did were wicked. But he said, I'm looking at the core of this, at the heart of it. And that's why he brought the flood upon mankind. And We went through about, I think, nine different points on that. And one thing I just wanted to point out here, you know, so we, I was talking in the morning uh, Sunday school on marriages, and we were looking at the brokenhearted marriage this, this, Sunday, this Sunday. And how is it sometimes when you maybe have a lost husband, a lost wife, and here you are, you want to do right, you want to do the right thing, you want to uh, live the Christian life the way you're supposed to, it's interesting what the Lord gave us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That's not a common uh, or a very popular thing today. In fact, if you would read this out in public, you'd probably have tomatoes thrown at you. But it says that if any, be, any, and if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So, This is where your conversation, that word simply just means lifestyle, or really outflow of who you are, your conversation, your lifestyle. Uh, It says, while they behold your chaste conversation, your lifestyle, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating, the hair, of the wearing of gold, or of the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. You think about that. God is telling you, ladies, let's say you have a husband that isn't saved, that isn't doing right. And you know what? You know what's not gonna work, right? The whole nagging thing, (laughs) that doesn't work. But what God is saying is, you be subject. You subject yourselves and let them behold your chaste conversation, your lifestyle. And it says, let it be the hidden man of the heart, not the outward adorning. Now that verse, some people have used it say, oh, you can't wear earrings. You can't do your hair nice. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, don't let those things be what you use to make a difference in people's lives. Let it be the hidden man of the heart, a meek and quiet spirit. What is meekness? Meekness is when you look at life and realize that, you know what? There are some things that are outside of my control. And the sooner I get to that realization that God cares about me and that God wants to take these out of control situations and use them for my good and for the good of others, That's where meekness comes. Meekness comes out where you finally, in your spirit, submit yourself to the Lord. Instead of continually trying to force change on people, on situations, and trying to manipulate circumstances, you need to understand God's in control, and God is what? Good. God is good. Meekness... That's the one word the Lord put on my heart before the whole COVID thing happened. And I began to see that all coming out. And I says, I think the Lord is trying to teach us meekness. Meekness is us giving our control to God and realizing things are beyond what you can do here. There's a bigger thing at play. But if you submit yourself and you give yourself to the Lord and do what he's asked you to do, he's going to take care of you. So right there, it says the hidden man of the heart, meek and quiet spirit. Today, you know, our our young girls, we're teaching them to be loud and stubborn. They're loud. They're abrasive. That's what God wants from our young ladies. We need to teach them to be under control, quiet, not always forcing their opinion on others. You see, well, this is what I believe. (laughs) meekness See, you're trying to change things and you're not making a difference in fact what you're doing is you're you're wanting to get glory from it but if you let god work through you into your heart towards people i'm going to tell you something that's where god does his work through the meek and quiet spirit amen the heart is so vital yet the the jews of this time the judaizers they would go into churches, the Church of Galatia, after Paul established that church and taught them the true gospel, which is the death, burial, and the resurrection. They went in there and started putting these ideas on their head that, oh no, you got to be circumcised, you got to do these laws and that laws, and tried to make it all external again. And that's what happens with us. Now folks, this is the problem. I think people misunderstand sometimes. You know, Folks, we believe that a Christian ought not drink and smoke and go to parties, and go to socials, and, uh, you know, go to whatever. You ought not do that. That's a bad thing for you to do. And if you're like a child where a parent has to keep you from doing that, okay, that has to happen, you know. But the thing is, that's not how God wants you to live your life. He wants you in your heart to change where there's no desire to do those things where I want to do good things. I want God to do something through my life so I can affect change in people for positive things. Amen? For righteousness sake. Instead of always clamping down on people. That's why many times, Baptists especially, we get that, that uh, <laughs> oh, they just say, don't drink, don't smoke. <laughs> Absolutely don't. <laughs> you know, don't do pornography, don't, whatever. You, you have the list and I'll say amen to all of it. But the fact of the matter is, if that's all you're doing, you're missing something. The reason why we're doing these things, the reason why we want to, the reason why we're going is because our hearts aren't right. And God wants to change our hearts. And that's been God's message right from the start. The Lord says, I want you to have a circumcised heart. That's what this is about. So he's bringing these Jewish people to a place, an argument, where he's saying, you're guilty. You're guilty. Just like he brought the heathen that didn't want righteousness, he says, you're guilty of char- as charged. Just like he went to the moral man in Romans 2 at the beginning and said, hey, you know, you're judging everybody else because you think you're good, but the fact of the matter is you're not. You're guilty too. All these different views of righteousness, whether you don't want righteousness, whether you think you can fabricate your own righteousness, or whether you're thinking you're following somehow God's righteousness and you're missing the mark. He says you're guilty. So the Jew responds here in Romans chapter 3. And so we have some questions that are presented. So the Lord isn't too proud to take some questions. He has pronounced his judgment. I mean, you're not going to change his mind, but he's willing to hear you. And there's some questions that that they asked here in Romans chapter three. Notice this in verse number one. It says, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? And he gives you the answer. Much every way chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So the Jew is saying, Then what's the big deal that I was born from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That I was brought up in this religious home, in this religious nation uh, that you said was going to be this promised nation that you were going to use to be a light to the world? What good is it then? What advantage do I have? Why, Why am I not special? See, the thing is, they began to think that somehow they were better than the Gentiles. Well, then, what advantage is it of the Jew? He's saying, it's not because you're better. It's not because I looked in the world and found somebody that was better than the next guy. You're all condemned, damned in your sin. But he says, this is what I was doing when I called you out, so I could bring the world my word. And this is what I want us to get today. The outward performance of your life, the religion, the expression, the lifestyle, everything you do is based on God wanting his word to reach mankind. That's the advantage. So they began to think, well, I'm special because I was born of Israel. I was born of this tribe. He says, no, that didn't make you special. What makes you special is I chose you to bring my word to the world. Think about that. Now that's you too. as the church today. Now we're not Jew. And by the way, Romans chapter 2, verse 28, it's not saying that everybody's a Jew because it said that. He's just saying this is what a true Jew is. We are not Jews. (laughs) That's a separate thing. We are the church. The church of the living God. What advantage is it, preacher, that I was born in a Christian home? What advantage is it, preacher, that I've been baptized and that I've come to church and I've sang in the choir and I'm trying to be faithful? What advantage is it then? <laughs> He'd say, well, chiefly because I committed unto you the word of our God and that your life and your lifestyle and your religion and everything that you do is going to glorify My words so that souls can be saved and people can be helped. Now that changes things. (laughs) Because most people think today it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. I can listen to secular music. I can go to rock concerts. I can go to the bar. If Jesus were here, he'd probably sit down and have a beer next to me. I've heard people say that. I said, no, sir. You see... Israel was going to be a peculiar people, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 19. A peculiar means that a special people that God is drawing out close to Himself, a treasure above all the treasures of the earth, so that He could use them to be a light to the rest. But it's become more about us what I get to do, the life I want to live. That's not what it's about anymore. If you're a Christian here today and you have Christ in your heart, you have one purpose. That's the ministry of reconciliation. You are here to bring the word of God to souls. That is your calling of God. I want to tell you something. I know there's so many things to do. There's so many careers we could have. There's so much money we could make. But folks, this life is but a vapor that, that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. This is the only time throughout all eternity that you will be able to please God by faith never again only in this vapor of time will you be able to please god by faith by faith means believing what he says and do it anyways even though you don't see it played out in front of your eyes but just like you see through physical eyes someone sitting there in front of you you see the principles of god's word as easily as you can see a person in front of you i can see that this is true and therefore i do it because god has said it And that's, my friend, how people get the word of God today. Not by me trying to justify how weak of a Christian life I can live because we're living in this time of grace. By the way, the time of grace does not mean that you can go and get away with sin. The time of grace means that you're less sin than ever before. Grace, the Bible says, the grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us to deny ungodliness and to live soberly in this present evil world. That's what grace is for. Where well, we're so trying to fill, fulfill our flesh and dress it up in spirituality, we're no better than the Jew that is looking at his circumcision as to make me somehow special. What advantage is it? <laughs> What advantage is a preacher that I'm coming to church today? Why do I give my time today? Why do we come three times a week? One time is enough. It's enough if all you want is one time. But do you understand if you give your life to Christ and you surrender your soul to the Lord and make your life a piece of clay in the Lord's hand that he fashions it how he wants it to be, you're going to be seeking every day For the things of God. And it won't be grievous. Oh, do we have to go again? The Bible says the love of God is not grievous. That means you'll love to do what God's asked you to do. That's what happens when He changes your heart. And if it's not like that today, you say, Well, I don't really want to be here. I'm just here because of this, that, or the other. You're like the Jew. You're like the Jew. Looking at the outward, but not considering the inward. Not realizing what the real reason why God has you here is. His purpose today is he wants to break your heart. If your heart is hard, that's why many times we get discouraged. We go to a door and we say, hey, I want to tell you about Christ. And they say, no! (laughs) You get a gospel track in their hands, or maybe you mention Jesus or something. And Folks, do you understand that sometimes... His word is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. How do you expect to just go to somebody and have them just melt in your hands at at the things you say? Are we not willing to endure some of this so that the word of God can be like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? And sometimes it takes a little chipping away and it's not all going to be. You're not going to see the difference. But all you know is that your life and the life that you're trying to uh, express to the people around you and the heart that you have for the Lord and your obedience to the scripture somehow is like a hammer that is breaking the rock on the people that are around you. And that's why you don't give up. That's why you keep going. Like I said, I don't know when it was. One of my messages was it last week how many times we, we, uh, we think that direction and timing are equal. <laughs> They're not. And the, the aspect of that was you have two young people, they want to get married and they say, oh, this is the person that I'm supposed to marry. And mom and dad says, well, I don't think it's time. And they say, oh no, this is, this is God's direction. And so they throw the timing out the door and say that means that now direction equals timing, dad. And dad says, no, direction does not equal timing. That's why sometimes when you've got a wife or a husband that is not doing right, you don't look at him in the moment and say, I'm going to give up because somehow the direction isn't equal to the timing. <laughs> the direction is that you get right with God. The direction is that you have a, a, a solid marriage and you, you glorify him with your life. and you Every day you give yourself to that. That's the direction, but the timing isn't always there. And so you don't quit on him. You don't give up. You continue on day after day and week after week because you know the direction. Now you're waiting on God's timing for God to break that heart, for God to do the work that only He can do. Like in the passage I just read about the meek and quiet heart, you don't know how your life is going to impact the people around you, but you continue on and a part of how God uses you is your faithfulness in continuing it's not just looking at you and saying, look what a great Christian this is. Oh, I better get right with God. Sometimes it's seeing you, no matter what happens, continue on, be faithful, take the hits, bear your cross, just like they were talking about. And that is the hammer. I've got personal examples in my life of people that could have found every excuse in the world to leave their husband. Everybody around said, hey, I don't blame you. I mean, after everything you've gone through, a lifetime of hurt, a lifetime of trouble, I don't blame you. Sure they don't, but you know what this person did? I'm not going to do that. Because God's direction doesn't equal his timing. So I'm going to continue. Oh, and this person did, and it hurt. But today, timing met, and they're living a life that is good. But many people don't do that. Oh, no, I'm just going to quit. And do what? Handle the rest of your life the same way you handled that one. Maybe you got to look at your fire as holy ground. Maybe you got to look at your trial as God's holy ground for you. Maybe that is your cross. Maybe what you're going through is the cross that He planned for you before the foundation of the world. Why would you take your cross off when Jesus didn't take His off? So you bear it, you endure it by faith for the joy that is set before you, ahead of you, sometime in the future, and the timing comes to fruition, and everything works out, or or at least until I see Christ. And then the timing will be complete. You understand that? See, folks, when you look at someone that is relying on their religion to gain praise from people, Do you realize how opposite that is of God? To look at being a Baptist or being in church or being in the choir or maybe even singing a special behind the pulpit and somehow this makes me something? Like I want praise from you? (laughs) The Bible says to the Jew, that's not a true Jew. True Jew is one that has a circumcised heart. That at the end of this, the praise is not of men, but of God. But many times they would fast, and they'd make their faces look disfigured, and they'd walk around, oh, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting. And God says, you have your reward. If you're doing one thing for man's reward, do you realize you'll never hear God talk about it? You could give your whole life, you could spend 30 years out on the mission field, And if you're doing it for man's applause, the Lord will never bring up that 30 years. He's saying, what 30 years? I didn't see anything there. Wow. See, it's about this thing right here. And when it's about God doing a work in your heart, then it's all about what God does in you and through you. And your religion is an outflow of your relationship with Christ. And you're expecting no response from man. I don't need your verification. <laughs> Lee Robertson says you have to die to criticism but you also have to die to compliments if you want to be used of God. That's why when we when someone sings a special that blesses our heart we go to them and say praise the Lord. And they'll say praise the Lord. It's about deflecting it back up to him because he's the only one worthy. Amen. What advantage? What profit is it? You know, Israel is a covenant nation. The only nation that was ever created that was based on a promise of God. Everyone was based on language, they were based on geography, whatever it is. But this is the only nation that was ever made based upon a covenant that God made with one man. That's pretty special. We see that in Genesis chapter 12. It says in verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's where we come in. We as Gentiles, we come in in that last phrase. We're all the families of the earth. This is how we've been blessed through the covenant that was made with Abraham that day. But we are not a part of the great nation. That isn't a part of our blessing. That had to do with his physical seed. So this is speaking of a nation out of Abraham's physical lineage. The sign of circumcision was given to be an outward sign of being of Abraham's seed. So everybody that was from Abraham physically, the lineage, were were circumcised after that. And that would be their mark. That's why many that remember when um, when Jacob had his sons there uh, by, by Shechem and how that dino was violated by one of the men Shechem there. And uh, he wanted to become, he wanted to take Dinah and marry her. And the boy says, oh no, not possible. Because we have a covenant. That means you all got to be circumcised. Instead of taking that for what it really meant and letting them change their hearts, they let them go through that. And then when they were healing, they went and killed all the men out of revenge. And that's why God punished them later when it came to the blessing. And that was Simeon and Levi that did that. Is it enough to have an outward sign? Well, we see in Romans it's it's not enough. Just having an outward show of your Christianity is not enough. <laughs> Deuteronomy thirty, verse six, it even said, And the Lord thy God will circumcise thy heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, and thou that thou mayest live. So what the Lord was always aiming at, right from the beginning, was that his people would love him with all of their heart. And the reason why he had to circumcise their heart is because they loved other things that was against God and took their hearts away from God. And we saw ultimately that's what brought judgment upon Israel and brought them into Babylon. Solomon began to turn his hearts towards other women of other lands and married them and began worshiping their idols, their gods. Yeah, but he had the outward signs. (laughs) God says, I don't care about the outward signs. I've wanted your heart. Because you didn't give me your heart, your heart was on all kinds of other things. The religionist relies on their flesh to produce righteousness from lineage. So based upon where I came from, my parents, We see that in John 1, verse 11. It says, he came unto his own, talking about the Jews. This is Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you received Christ? We've been going soul winning lately. We've been asking that question. We've had a couple of people say to us, yes, we do every week. And what they're talking about is when they eat the wafer. They're relating eating the wafer that the priest plays over as receiving Christ. (laughs) See, that's outward. And so they're relying on an outward thing of religion to save their soul. But the Bible says, no, that's not what I mean. It goes on to say here, but as many as received him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So that's what it's about. It says, which were born, not of blood, That means it has nothing to do with who your mother, mom, and dad were, nor of the will of the flesh. That means your flesh isn't going to somehow make this birth possible, nor of the will of man. No matter what I do for you, I could put you in the tank and we could have a big religious festival going on. Nothing is going to make your spirit born again other than this. And it says, but of God. See, Jesus told Nicodemus that lest he be born again, he shall not inherit, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Those that grew up in a Jewish home and were circumcised to bear the mark of God's people made that outward sign of their the, the basis of their religion and relationship to God. And they're not saved. They're not saved until they receive Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Do you understand that? Any person today that does not turn to Jesus Christ is not saved. You look at the Jewish nation. Oh, they must, because they're still religious. The Lord says, no, they're not saved. That's why at the end of the tribulation time, when Jesus Christ will come again, then finally they will turn to him and they will believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And then the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 or verse, uh, chapter 11, that all of Israel will be saved. But today they're not. You've got to be careful of this. I respect Israel. I respect God's people. I respect God's plan of bringing God's people back into that land to once again use them to be a light to the world. (laughs) And the millennial reign, that's going to happen. But today, it's a land full of rebellion. In fact, in the tribulation time, the Bible calls Jerusalem spiritual Egypt and spiritual Sodom until Jesus Christ becomes their Savior. So you need a new birth, a washing of regeneration in your heart. The Jews had one chief advantage, and that's God entrusted them the revelation of his words. Committed unto him, he says. Entrusted the oracles of God. How many times do you use the oracles? Kids, have you read the oracles today? No, you don't use that word. You use the Bible. You use the scriptures, the writings. But do you understand? Before they were writings, they were utterings. Before they were written down on pages, the voice of God uttered them. So the oracles of God is God uttering his revelation to mankind. And he says, I've chosen you, the Jewish people, to reveal the utterings of God to mankind. And later they got put in a book. And that's what we have in front of us today. The oracles that became scriptures. You know, there's two groups of people on earth that the Lord committed the scriptures to. What are those two groups? The Jews and the church. Oh no, I go to christianbook.com to buy my Bible. See, the Lord never committed the preservation of the scriptures to any publishers. It was always placed within the church's responsibility. And it still is. So we got to be careful that we don't allow the, the money making machine of publishing take over the Bible in such a way where they and it's happening today where they twist it just enough where they can copyright it. And when you can copyright it, you can start making more money off of it. You know, some Bibles out there they even allow you to reproduce it. Cuz it's copyrighted like the works of Shakespeare or something or some other book. <laughs> But this one is not copyrighted. <laughs> it's 400 years old. It goes back to 1611. There's no copyright on it. That's why they don't like this one that much. Because they can't have as much control over it. But the fact of the matter is the publishers have never been the ones that were given the responsibility to preserve and to distribute the Bible. Those places are doing it because they're trying to make money. <laughs> In fact, if you look at some of the heads of these publishing companies, some of them live a life of total debauchery. Yet they're selling good King James Bibles. So let's not make them the group. (laughs) Amen. The group is the Scriptures. You ever had somebody come up to you and say, well, I believe the book of Enoch should be in the Bible. You ever had something like that? Yet they've never once actually studied into that. Where did it come from? What is it all about? Well, the Bible quotes the book of Enoch. No, the Bible quotes Enoch. Yeah. Be careful in how you put these words out there. Oh, no, the book of Enoch. Well, if you'd read the book of Enoch, you'd realize that the King James Bible, those words are not the same. So it did not quote, quote the book of Enoch. It quoted Enoch himself. And I don't know, maybe Enoch, the book of Enoch, whoever wrote it in the first, or just before the first century uh, took the words from the book. I don't know. However, that worked. But folks, it shouldn't be in the Bible. Now, who gets to ascertain that? Who? The publishers? You know what? You want to know who, who makes those decisions? From the beginning, since day number one, has been the Spirit-filled believers that have received Christ as their savior, that have met in a congregation like this one since first century to this day. When they had a letter that someone would bring in and say, this is inspired, they would look at that being spirit-filled and understanding that God is saying, that is not of me. And it never made its way into the Bible. We call that the canonicity of scripture. Scripture. The word canon means measuring rod. Well, who's doing the measuring around here? (laughs) You know, who is it? Some hierarchy up there, some group, some big? No, it's people like you and I throughout the centuries that have received the word of God and have said this is the truth and anything that was brought in by Satan from the side, we'd reject it. And we ended up with 66 books of the Bible. That's why today you get, well, now Hollywood is trying to tell you Oh, you know, Da Vinci Code. Gospel of this, gospel of that. (laughs) They are not the ones that God has chosen to preserve the word of God. It all falls on the lap of the church. What advantage then? That he committed unto the Jews the Old Testament, which they preserved through their copying. And then when the apostles that made up the foundation of the New Testament church began to speak and they followed the apostles' doctrine. And then they wrote it down into a book and the people received that in the the churches like this one. And they would take these letters and they'd exchange them and they'd copy them, they'd compile them and they'd put them together and say, this are the inspired words of God. Amen. That's an advantage. say, what's an advantage to go to your church? God has committed to us the word of God. You know, above all organizations on this earth, above any group you could ever meet with, we as a simple, local New Testament church have been given the word of God. And the Bible says that we are the pillar and ground of the truth. We are the group that is supposed to lift up this book to a place that is higher than anybody on this planet could ever lift it. Oh, but Jesus would have a beer with me in the bar. See, your religion is not taking up the advantage of why Jesus gave us the book in the first place. Your religion, whatever that is, whatever that outflow is of your life, it ought to glorify and lift up the words of our God. Amen. But we're living in a day and age where religion is not lifting up the words of God. The religion of men is lifting up men. What I want. This this is how God speaks to me, this is how He affects me. I am sorry. you get on that cross and die. You bear your cross. And You stop making it about you. And when you stop making it about you and more about others, that's when the Lord will flow through your life. There's one thing the church, churches are doing today. It's getting in the way of God. And that's why revival is not coming. It's more about us than him. Only one that is truly Abraham's seed would hear Christ's words because the Jews would say, hey, Abraham's our father. (laughs) Look at this. Jesus explained this to them in John 8 verse 37. It says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me. You know why? He says, because my word hath no place in you. Wow. I speak that which I've seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Wow. Can you imagine how they would have felt in that moment? Abraham didn't do what you're doing. Christian, look at your life. We're of the faith of Abraham. In that covenant, Genesis chapter 12, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We say, oh yes, I'm that Christian, I'm that one. Abraham wouldn't do what you're doing. You've got the word of God. We've got the scriptures. We've got the revelation of God. We've got the oracles of God given to unto us. But then why aren't we doing what Abraham would do. Jesus told these Jews, you say your father is Abraham. (laughs) That's why later on he says, ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. The longings of your father ye will do. See, those of us that say we're of the faith of Abraham, Those of us that say we are of the faith of the scriptures, of the word of God, we've been committed to scriptures by God, and yet we're doing opposite. You're not of Abraham. Think about that. Jesus cut deep that day, right into the heart of the Jew, of the false teacher. They're relying on some kind of a lineage. that somehow I'm connected to Abraham. He says, your physical lineage has nothing to do with what I'm talking to you about. See, there's two seeds. There's a physical seed, but then there's a spiritual seed. And the seed of Christ. That's what has to be planted in our hearts. Only one that was of Abraham's spiritual seed would rejoice in Christ. Do you rejoice in Christ? Do you get a joy in your heart when we talk about what Jesus Christ has done for us? Oh, the Bible tells us in John 8, 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. He's saying, I am Jehovah. I am the self existent one. But an interesting statement. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. What day? What day is he referring to here? (laughs) What I believe he's referring to, and this is where I don't think you'll argue with me on it Genesis 22 where God told Abraham, take your son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, the first time love is mentioned in the Bible, right there in that passage, and sacrifice him. And Abraham, because he loved God, just obeyed. He says, I don't understand this God, but I'm going to do it. And he got his wood and he took that wood and put it upon the back of his son Just like in a couple thousand years, Jesus Christ would have that wood on his back, walking down to the place of crucifixion. And uh, Isaac uh, walked with him, and while they were walking, he says, Where are we going, Dad? Oh, we're going to sacrifice. Then when they got close, he told the servants to stay behind. He says, Isaac, me and you are going to go on this one. Dad! Where's the offering, Dad? It's a good question. Abraham looks at him, son, boy, I love you. You are the offering. The Bible says that Isaac just submitted. He didn't fight his dad. He just says, okay, Dad. He took the wood that was upon Isaac's back and he laid it out under him and he took Isaac and he put Isaac on this wood. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham didn't quite understand it, but he says, I know that what God said to me is true. The word that he said to me was that through this seed, through Isaac, there'll be a great nation. So I don't know how this is going to work, God. I don't know how you're going to do this, but even if you'll raise him from the dead, I know you're going to fulfill your promise. And that caused him to lift up that knife and he was just going to plunge it into his son when they heard this bleeding in the background and a ram was caught in the thicket. And the angel said, Stop. The Lord has provided A sacrifice. And Abraham looked at his son. And he took him off that wood. And he hugged him. And he looked at that ram. Praise God. Praise God. This was the day. This is when Abraham saw Christ. Thousands of years later, Jesus stands up before the Jews. And he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, but you seek to kill me. What joy is that? What joy do you share with Abraham about Christ? I'm going to tell you something. Your son, you look beside your child sitting beside you, or or your friend, or your wife, or your husband. And you realize that if that ram would not have been supplied, that person you love next to you would have to go to hell for their sins. And if that does not bring rejoicing to your heart that Jesus Christ came, then you need to be saved. That was the day. Abraham's thinking you think your religion is something see he wasn't looking at their religion he's saying if you were truly of Abraham you would do what Abraham did but you'd try to kill me if you were truly of Abraham you would rejoice that I'm here but you're not because you're not of Abraham do you get that Oh, but I've got religion. I'm circumcised. (laughs) Do you understand? It's not about that. Well, I've been to church so many times this year. (laughs) God wants your heart. A true Christian will allow Christ's words in their heart after Abraham's faith. That means you're here today and you're saying, God, you need to do something in my heart. I want your words to penetrate through. And if you're sitting there bucking God with your life, I feel sorry for you. Because you're not of Abraham. In fact, in Galatians 3, 7, it says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith Preach before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they that which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. See, we become a part of that covenant. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed by our faith in the word of God. Because Abraham, what would Abraham do if he were here today? What would he do if he would walk into the back door? Would he take you on a different religion trip? <laughs> no, sir. You know what he would do? First, he'd probably just sit down and be obedient like any other church member ought to. And in his heart, he'd say, please, Lord, speak to my heart. And when God showed him something from the word of God, Abraham would say, you know, God, I need you to do something in me and I'm going to make this change in my life. That's what Abraham would do. Abraham, in that invitation time, wouldn't just sit there and say, oh, can we go home yet? He wouldn't be one of these clock watchers. Abraham would be somebody that's say, dear God, do something in my life. That's the faith of Abraham. Are you of the faith of Abraham? Or do we got to get over oh is that person here what's that person doing here oh they think they're good I remember. <laughs> the claws are out <laughs> oh we yeah, got this church it's they were real they'd have a real body the real building <laughs> i've heard that so many times remember one guy came we had our first church in kenora remember i told you about the prayer house that little prayer house we had on wednesday nights little widow gave us her little house because she moved in with her sister. And says, I don't know what you can do with it, but you can use it. So we met there on Wednesday nights. We'd pray there and we'd have a Bible study there. Had one guy visit us one time. Oh, I feel so bad you guys don't have a church. I just went to him, shh, the people don't know that. Bye. (laughs) In other words, my son Samuel was saved in that house. I don't know which other of my kids may have been saved there. Many kids got saved in that house. Many prayers went up to the Lord in that house. See, that's not a faith of Abraham. He started saying stuff like that. Well, you got this program, that program? You know what Abraham would say? He'd walk in the door. Are you guys preaching the Bible? Yeah. We'd say, yes, sir. He says, well, then I'll feel welcome here. This here. This is what it's all about. This is your program Genesis to Revelation. I'm not saying we don't have some programs, but I'll never give up this book for a program. Our religion is an outflow of this book. But do you know where this stops many times? Right here. Preacher preaches. It's coming. It's coming. It goes in here, it goes down. It's my daughter, by the way. (laughs) Where does it stop? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And if we're of the faith of Abraham, we receive it. We give ourselves to it. We make a decision on it, and we change. Amen. Let's bow our heads. What advantage? What advantage is it that you're here today? Do you understand that little churches like this, since the first century, have been chosen by God to be a pillar and ground of the truth? They're not here to make you feel comfortable. They're not here to stroke you. They're not here to accept sin. They're not here to make you feel religious. They're here to preach the word of God. And those words ought to find a place in your heart. And I don't know where you are today, in your Christian life. But maybe the words hit the eardrum, maybe go into your mind a little bit, but they're not going into your heart. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. See, you can't be saved until that truth reaches your heart the place of trust, the place of love. It's not an intellectual decision. It's a heart decision. And if you're here today, he'd say, Preacher, the outflow of my life has not fit or expressed what the scriptures say. I have not been living after the word of God. Now, there could be a couple of reasons for that. It could be that maybe you got saved and nobody's ever taught you. Or it could be you've never been saved. And there's nothing to flow through. Can I tell you that the first step is to allow the gospel, the message that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried and that he rose again, that message must be trusted in your heart. You have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. You have to believe that he went to the grave for three days, three nights. You have to believe because he is the holy son of God that death could not hold him and he defeated the grave so that all that put their faith in him can come to heaven where he is. He paved the road for you.